the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What makes Rose Cleaners the best in dry cleaning? They do my laundry the way I like it. The wonderful customer service. Personal quality. I have some things I like done with my clothes that I ask for, and it's always done. They do good work. I just love Rose Cleaners. Very excellent customer service, and uh, they've made me very happy since I've been here. They've got friendly employees when you walk in, and um, they haven't lost any of my clothes in 19 years. Rose Cleaners, serving San Antonio for over 20 years. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Hi, I'm Eric Galindo Training Director for the FSI Training School For individuals and businesses we offer certification courses in CPR and first aid through the American Heart Association and also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. This is Soapy Dollar here on The Bible Live broadcast. Thanking you for being with us tonight. Uh, we are hoping we are hearing ourselves. <laughs> All right, we are on the air, are we not, John? All right. Jacob is here in the I studio with me. We are ready for our first, our first reading this evening. First time we'll be listening to the scriptures uh, from the book of Genesis. We're starting our 16th time through the Bible this past week. Our, our scheduled readings were from the book of Genesis, uh, chapters 1 
through 21. No, that's not true. We didn't read. Ah, uh, we didn't read chapters one through twenty-one, did we, Jacob? Oh, what? during the week. During the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Sophie, let me explain how the show works. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I was thinking of the first reading. I know it was only the first four chapters, but then of course. No, 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 no. I, I know. I know you've just been up for a couple of yeah. minutes. Yeah. Uh, oh, we've only been doing this sixteen yeah, years, yeah. so I should. Uh, I, I I should be forgiven for getting for forgetting. Then we read Psalms. One through five, the first five uh, chapters, the first five chapters of the Psalms. And so we're going to have some questions for you. Also, we're going to have a special guest during the hour. Jacob, you ready to tell them about uh, Sarah and her visit? Yes, I am. Uh, We said that we were going to have in studio a live guest tonight. Maybe two. I want to inform the audience that, yes, indeed, they are alive. But, but they will not they're be not, here. excuse me, I thought you said for me to I tell. I did, I did. Uh, that was my mistake for believing you. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, you should know so, better than to believe me. But, so what happens is they are waylaid in Washington, D.C., where they're coming from. So they will be calling in. They will be live, but they will be calling in as opposed to being live in the studio. But you can ask them all kinds of good biblical archaeology questions. Would that be the first casualty of the Trump um, takeover of the government, is that they couldn't get out of Washington, D.C.? Can we blame that on Donald? I don't know that that we can uh, blame Trump. Okay, or or is this a last-ditch campaign? a last-ditch uh, attack on our on our program by the Obama, uh, by the o- Obama group. One of the, one of the two. We've got to blame somebody about this, right? All right. Um, Okie doke. We've got Janice on line one already, a caller, and we haven't oh. even asked a question yet. That's Jacob. okay. We need a winner. Are you on the line? Um, two more winners. Talk to us, Jacob. Talk to us. Okay, no, us. You're, you're up there. You're good. You're good. Uh, let's go uh, Let's go visit with uh, Janice, see what she is wanting to talk about. First up. Good the evening. We have and all I want to say is, question. yay, Trump won. <laughs> Me too, Janice. I'm excited and happy about it as well. Uh, that was our choice. So I guess every time you always have. It's been a long time since I've won anything, Janice, in terms of politics. Uh, my candidates seem to never, never win. I told my my wife that the other night we were listening to the um, on the election night Tuesday night, and I said, "Oh, I got to go into bed. I, I can't stand to listen to it." Uh, besides that, we never win anything. And I got up about three <laughs> thirty in the morning, and I I turned on the TV, and you know sometimes when you turn on your TV, the the audio comes on before the video does. Have you ever had, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Well, I turned on the TV, and before the video came up, I heard the audio say, congratulations to President-elect Donald Trump. And I thought to myself, that's impossible. That couldn't happen. I mean, because when I'd gone to bed, I mean, it was totally a different story, you know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I tell you, it uh, it turned around. It looks like we'll get a shot. I guess the Republicans will get a shot for four years and see what if they don't produce this time, though, Janice, I, I hesitate to think what might happen. He he will produce. Okay, I got he it. he's a brilliant man. We've got it, and he's here. thank God he's not a politician. Well, let's let's hope you turn out to be exactly <laughs> right. That's 
that's really the sentiment behind it. The people evidently wanted to try to get somebody outside of that Washington political right. career political environment and yes. shake, shake things up and mess, you know change things around. So maybe. I, I from from your mouth to God's ears. That's what we've all been praying. That's and, uh, right, and I have been talking to God for quite a few months. I mean, the prayers have uh, been going. Well, yeah, they have been all across the nation. So, yes. I, I'm I'm certainly willing, excited to give it a chance, and let's see uh, what the Lord will do. Um, I, I I'm pretty optimistic, like you. I I actually think the the expectations are so low at this point. That almost anything good that happens, is, it's going to be a, a great development. But I think, I, I suspect the economy first will take off when the, within the first year or so. Uh, we'll come out of the doldrums and move on out, and then uh, lots of other stuff, too, will, will take place. Oh, Let's, yes. Well, he's going to fix Obamacare so that these people won't have to spend their entire uh, salary on, on Obamacare trying to have health insurance and praying that they don't have yeah. to use a $9,000 deductible. You know, it's insane what they came up with. Yes, there are a few good things about Obamacare, but uh, I don't even know if anybody really knows all what is all in Obamacare. There's so many thousands of pages, oh, yeah. and not all of it is in health reform. So Trump will surround his his body and his cabinet with important, intelligent men. Talented people. It's not going to be just him. He's going to surround himself with intelligent people to get America back in greatness. Well, you represent very well those who voted for him and supported him. You seem to be rational and logical and hopeful and positive and i i agree with you i think it's going to go it's better. logical it's practical the concept is sound and the system works for me it's clear it's concise it's convincing i'm not sure but we may have reached an agreement <laughs> <laughs> well all i can say is grab on in your grab onto your seat belts and just hold on hold on it's going to be wonderful i hope it's he puts you to be Wonderful. I hope he puts you in his cabinet, Janice. I appreciate you calling in to talk to us about it tonight. You can do that as well. Maybe uh, you'd like to call 340-9585 and sound off as well. We don't mind at all hearing you. And if some of you are in grieving and, and you're saddened and, and upset, we don't mind hearing from you as well. If you want to sound off, that's one of the great rights and freedoms we have to speak our minds and and so on. So uh, we'll we'll let you call in as well, as long as you're, uh, as long as you're, well, sober, and uh, as Are long you as you're gentle. Janice of drinking? No, 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 no. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> but as long as you're gentle and 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 respectful, that'll be that'll be great. We'd love to hear from you if you'd have some response to uh, this really rather historic election that took place in our country over this past week. So we'd love to hear from you. Three four zero. Ninety-five, eighty-five. We do have some uh, questions here. I can put out a few. And do we have any more tickets to the archaeological? No. Here's number? what we got. We got two more. Only two. I want to say two. Two. One year free subscriptions left. That's it. Two. Just two. So, so whoever calls tonight and answers any question, don't worry. You're not going to lose. All right. But you can call in. We can talk. We only have two one-year subscriptions left, and then it's gone. And Sarah Yeoman uh, of the Archaeological Biblical Archaeological Review, archaeological is easy for me to say, right, uh, is going to be with us tonight. She's going to be joining us by phone, 
And we'll be talking to her about any recent archaeological developments, uh, things that might be relevant to us who who are. This program is about this old book, the Bible, uh, just 66 different books written over a period of 1400 years, 40 different authors. And, and it pretends to be it claims to be for itself the very word of God. Not dictated, but the in other words, God acted, God spoke in time and space in history, and caused there to be laid down a record, a written Actually, record I have to correct you, Sophie. His involvement in history. Sophie, I must have to, I have to correct. You. I knew you would have to. Yes, and I, I'm so if he moans me to do this. I know he did not speak in time and history. There was no time and did I say time and history? <laughs> yes, you did. I meant time and space. I'm always oh, trying well. There to was be, really no space. He he made it all at that time. <laughs> He came into the world we live in. He spoke. He acted. He caused. The, he involved himself in the affairs of men and nations, as Ben Franklin said, and caused there to be written down a record of his involvement, of his commands, of his instructions, of his guidance, and of his actions, and the people involved with him. And we have a record of that written over a period, as I said, of about fourteen, fifteen hundred years. And we read about his working with men and women, nations, people groups, marriages, children, families, societies, cities. And we can extrapolate uh, from those experiences to the times we live in. We know that uh, God's purposes for humanity and uh, what he is desiring. That, that's one of the things we'll be looking at from the book of Genesis, uh, it, which the first question of the evening was, what does the word Genesis mean? All right. If it you'd like to call it. It's in. Greek. Is it the word Genesis is Greek? Yes. Okay. How about that? Yeah. How about that? We're jagging the, what's the I word thought it was English. We have a word Genesis in English. <clears throat> so what does the word Genesis mean? And if you'd like to call an answer or maybe you have a question yourself, anything you'd like to talk about biblically, uh, we can turn around and make you a winner of one of these two uh, free subscriptions, a few free yearly subscription to the Biblical Archaeology Archaeological Review, uh, this this um, journal that is uh, we've been promoting and, and giving out to you. As I said, Sarah will be joining us. She, Sarah is an author, a writer, a researcher uh, for the uh, BAR, and uh, she's going to be joining us tonight. We'll be talking a little bit more about all things biblical and about um, some of these uh, things. Maybe you have a question about something you've been reading about, some archaeological discovery uh, that you know about or would like to ask about. Sarah will be here to try to answer questions and give us some of her um, educated insights about uh, these biblical re- this biblical research. So let's see here now. Let me see. We've got that one question. What does the word Genesis mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a we have an interesting question for you tonight. It's I, an I, interesting one. Yes, I, <laughs> as if they're not all interesting. Okay, Les is on line one, and Sarah is on line two. Let's bring her up first in a moment. Here's a question that you can answer. In the six days of creation, now I'm not talking about the seventh day when uh, God rested from his uh, the work of creation, as, as we're told. Uh, in the in the narrative, but of the six days in which God created the different things, um, plants and so on, the 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 firmament, the sky, the you know the the upper and the lower and that sort of thing, separating the waters from the above, and the waters in the, below, and the, all the different aspects of of creation. Of those six days, which day was not pronounced to be good? If you notice in the narrative, uh, after God created uh, in each day, and God says it, 
it is good. He saw the things he had made. It is good. But there's one day of the week that God did not pronounce that day to be good. All right? Can you tell us what day of the week was... This is Bible trivia, <laughs> yeah. but it's very important theologically. I, is it really? <laughs> I think it's funny, but I don't know you about it. You think important. creation by God is funny? It's funny, yes. Oh, well, I mean, just this question anyway. Well, let's go to uh, what line did you say Sarah is on, John? Okay. All right. We've got Sarah online here. Sarah. Sarah, how are you this evening? I'm good. Thank you. Good how to you hear guys? from you. We are great down here in South Texas. Uh, <laughs> should I mean, I've got to ask you this. It's just on everybody's mind. Uh, oh, Soapy. How do you feel? Uh, 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 you know, the election turnout and all that. Is that something we don't even want to go there at all? Are you in grieving? Are you grieving? Are you saddened? <laughs> are you particularly? Uh, are you happy? Are you what, what? How is everything? How's everybody feeling yeah, up in that Since part? you live in Washington and you're an archaeologist, so maybe you'd like to look at this as somebody buried somebody. I don't know. <laughs> You know, I, I like to think that as an archaeologist and historian, I, I do try to look at things in sort of broad strokes and um, broader broader landscapes. Um, and I feel like um, one of one of the important things, one of my important takeaways from this election, is not you know sort of who won, but I think the whole process has revealed. That there are some deep divisions in this country, um, and that there are groups of people who aren't hearing each other. And so, my hope for the next four years, no matter who was elected, is that we can start addressing some of these divisions and healing some of these rifts. Um, I believe a great deal in in the greatness of this country. I think it was great before. I think it's great now. I think it can be even greater. Um, so. Um, I'm hoping that the new administration um, can can really start the process of bringing people together, uh, because I think that that was one of the things that really came to light during this election season. Is um, it really kind of highlighted the areas that we, as a nation, need to work on? Deeply divided, no doubt about it. We've been watching it, I, I would say, really for many re- years, but it's an increasing awareness. And it seems like this election uh, cycle really highlighted it. Uh, uh, it just in this very, I mean, it is in reality, it is historic. It's a, very, it has been a, an incredible roller coaster ride. But you know, you missed your calling, Sarah. I know you're a very gifted archaeologist, and that's your passion, and so on. But you are also a very gifted diplomat. That was so well. <laughs> that was so well expressed. You didn't offend anybody. I don't even think Jacob yeah. could have done hey, that. Soapy, and so, do you know what the uh, the art of diplomacy is? Oh, this will be good. What is the art of diplomacy? Sarah? Do you know what the art of diplomacy is? I do not. It's being able to tell somebody to go to hell and have them look forward to the trip. <laughs> All right, well, that would be a good skill to learn. <laughs> she, she didn't exactly do that, but I, 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 I like. No, I really liked what you said. I think it's great, and uh, and I'm hopeful. You know, we're we're kind of a conservative state down here, the opposite of New York and the upper New England states in general. 
And so we're good old conservative Texas, and we're all we have all that same hope. At least that I think that that uh, some of these things. I think some of these things do have solutions if we can. Uh, uh, if a little confidence and trust can be one, and that's what I'm hoping this time. Uh, the uh, this particular time when you have a Republican majority in both houses of Congress and in the presidency and so on, hopefully. They'll do some good. They'll get some things done that everybody will recognize. Well, that that makes sense. That's good. And they'll do it in such a way that maybe there will be a little bit of okay, lower 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 the temperature. Let's uh, uh, let's. Yeah, I, I hope. I, I I'm, think, I'm hopeful. I think, we, I think we need to calm the rhetoric down on both sides. Sure. Um, and honestly, I think I think the real. Um, Really, our best hope for sort of coming together is is maybe not at the political level, but just at the daily level, you know, our interactions with our neighbors and, you know, listening to people who have different opinions and where they're coming from and how they're feeling. Um, I know that this election cycle for me has been very, you know, sort of emotional, and I've I've tried to respond by um, being more compassionate toward people around me and you know they may have a different viewpoint than I do but trying you know we're all human we all have the same um, basic hopes and fears for our families and friends um, we're all trying to do the very best we can um, and this is the president-elect that we have so I think um, I think we need to wish him the very best and hope that you know, hope that, that some healing can begin because I think oh. that the the process of the election was a particularly vitriolic one, and sure. um, I'd like to see us move on from that. I think we're better than that. <laughs> I, w- I was so. talking to a friend from the Philippines. Uh, we we have as part of our ministry down here in Texas. We also help to we're helping to put in some orphanages there in the Philippines with uh, you know uh, just actually tens of thousands of street kids. Uh, in that country and uh, so a lot of the churches and individual Christians here are reacting and responding to that and I was talking to the person from the Philippines and 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 she asked me, well, how, what about the politics? And I, I told her, I said, well, I kind of fall this way and all, but how do people in the Philippines view this particular campaign? She says, well, it's kind of odd. We, it, it, we're kind of puzzled by it. It just seems so much controversy. <clears throat> but she said, the question that seems to constantly come up is, are these really the best two people y'all can, <laughs> y'all can find? You know, and, and I thought, how funny. But um, well, okay, Sarah, don't, you've don't passed the the, uh, the political questions. We're going to come back and talk to you about some archaeology, about your upcoming conference on the nineteenth, and uh, okay, hopefully great. we get some callers and want to talk to you and visit with you as well. Let's hang on. Our and phone number call back is three four zero ninety five eighty five. We'll be right back. Don't go away. I want you to meet my friends at the Laptop Specialist. Pioneers since 1982 in serving the military, business, and personal computing needs of our city. Our ministry depends a lot on our computers. And whether it's repairs, service, upgrades, or even the purchase of a new machine, the James family and their great staff keep our equipment working, freeing us to do what we're called to do. Go to the laptopspecialist.net or call 344-4563. 344-4563 for their two locations. The Laptop Specialist. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. 
Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Well, Elizabeth and I went and looked for us, Lube, and our experience was fabulous. We got in and out of there in literally 20 minutes. When we went to work, we had got our oil done before. It could take us two hours. The service was very friendly. You can really trust them. They were super courteous. They vacuumed out the entire front of the car, which was surprising. I didn't Very expect nice. they receive that kind of service. And their name is their game. Expressly is accurate for the name of their store. And with 23 stores, there's an Express Lube near you. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning processes? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. Thanks for listening. This is Michael Youssef. I'm Alistair Begg. This is Chuck Swindoll. Hi, Steve Brown of Key Life. This is John MacArthur with Grace to You. This is R.C. Sproul. This is Chuck Colson. Hello, everyone. This is James Dobson. Hi, this is Bob Lapine from Family Life Today with Dennis Rainey. You're listening to The The Word Word in South Texas. AM 630. AM You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. I will testify to love. Great song. Great song. I love that song. Ever since, uh, oh gosh, it's been 10 or 15 years, our kids sang that song when they were in high school. And I've always just, I love the interchange, the parts up and singing above and below and around. How, how come we don't get any of these old, good standby Bible songs? We get these one songs people make up on their way to work. Why do we? <laughs> Listen to him. Now he's, a, now he's a music critic. We are back, folks. This is the Bible Live broadcast, and we have a very special guest, the uh, gracious and lovely Sarah. Sarah Yo- Dr. Sarah Yeoman. Are we- you are a doctor, right? Uh, uh, not, not quite yet. Not quite yet. Oh, <laughs> it's a work in progress. All right. Well, I was eager. I was, I was jumping. <laughs> Listen. She's you and me on both. On this show, she's a doctor. <laughs> on this show, you're a doctor. We, 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 we've made it official. Well, anyway, uh, Sarah is up. with us. You can talk to her. We, the, um, let's talk a little bit about the upcoming conference. Well, first, uh, conference. i got to interrupt real quick. Janice, we got disconnected from. Janice, call back. You are one of the winners for one of the last two free one-year magazine subscriptions for the Bar Magazine. All right, and Janice. Janice, you got disconnected. So call back. John will talk to you, take the information, and get you the one. Very good. Free. 
Very good. Jennifer would love to gift you with that. Unless uh, we know you hung up or got disconnected, you're certainly welcome to call back. And you could even ask Sarah a question, which is a prize in and of itself. It certainly is. Well, <laughs> now, Sarah, we just read in our reading schedule, we try to read through the entire Bible every year. And, and our listeners try to get them to move through the, this old, the old book, you know, the Genesis to, to Revelation. And uh, we, we started our 16th time through the Bible this week. We read Genesis chapters 1 through 21. Did you get my email, by the way? I got your email about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's plenty of time. To think. Well, no no big problem, But I and I know that that's not particularly your area of expertise in terms of interest. Uh, you're specialized, I think, in the Roman times and the first, uh, what, first couple of centuries of the Roman era? centuries after Christ. Okay. Yeah. How many well, centuries? Yeah. The first three, so the, okay. the first three centuries ah, of the, the Listen, that's yes. so interesting. People ought to call in because, folks, we have a real expert here on Roman times for the first three centuries, and she's very nice, and she'll answer questions regarding that. So if you have any questions about what was taking place with Rome, here is your chance to talk to a real expert. Sarah, in your understanding, mm-hmm. though, are... Are there any recent uh, archaeological discoveries or research, important research that might be done, be being realized or done somewhere in the world uh, about the early, you know, the the beginnings era, the expansion of the human civilization, and that sort of thing? Do you know any much about that? Is that part of y'all's uh, uh, part of the offerings? Of some of the things that are talked about in the uh, bar in the. We generally do not. We generally do not go go back as far as the Genesis books Mm -hmm. um, because we're we're looking. You know, we're an an organization that focuses on archaeological research, and most of the scholarship and research uh, regarding the Book of Genesis is textual. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some great Old Testament scholars out there who have done some very good work on on the Genesis books, and they're you know, sort of where um, where they may be situated in history. Um, but in terms of archaeology uh, relating to those stories, none that I know of. Um, okay. doesn't, doesn't mean it's not happening. But um, sure. but as you know, I mean, the Genesis story these are these are creation stories. Um, how we could confirm or negate yeah. them archaeologically uh, that would be a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, there there are some things about the fossil records and all this stuff. But I'm not I'm not I'm guessing that's not part of. The archaeology you're involved you're involved more with civilizations, with cities, with uh, uh, I don't know human rain remains, or or, or, or you, you go through um, you go yeah. through people's trash <laughs> from from <laughs> two thousand years ago. <laughs> it's, it's far more respectable if it's ancient trash. <laughs> so, that's true. That's true. Um, no, really. So for these types of questions in terms of fossil records and. Um, you know, a paleontologist might be able to better answer those questions. Oh. Also, astronomers. Um, you know, there's some astronomers that are sort of looking into timelines and and how these types of creation myths originated uh, among early humans. Um, but in terms of archaeology, uh, as far as I know, <laughs> there's nothing being done uh, on on such on the earliest stories like this. All right, we do have a caller. His name is Rich. Sarah, you're willing to talk to a caller and answer a question or two, right? 
I'll yes. answer them as best I can. Okay. Oh, Rich, <laughs> Rich, are you willing to answer a question or two? If <laughs> maybe. Uh, no, I, uh, Sophie, I was calling in for uh, something that was confusing me tonight. In okay, that, let's that, hear that it. Was What's on your mind, Rich? That's all right. Uh, this is this first time I've really been stumped. Okay. Uh, this is Matthew, the rich young man parable. Okay. And uh, um, at the end of it, it says, but many who are now first will be last, and many who are now last will be first. I don't really know, even have no idea what that means. Tell me where the passage is, Rich. Uh, it's in Matthew, uh, book 19. Okay. Uh, the rich young man uh, story that came to Jesus, yes. and uh, Jesus told him to give everything up and follow me, and he was very sad, the young man was, when he walked away, because he didn't want to give up his riches. Right, i tell you the truth. But it, finished the, uh, it finishes the story uh, by saying that, but many who are now first will be last, and many who are now last will be first. I, that's that's really hard to understand. Okay, Rich, I need to ask you something first. Have you won? You're not a winner for the one year magazine subscription yet, are you? No, and uh, Jacob, my eye, uh, eyes are getting bad. Uh, oh, I'm barely. Uh, well, well, do you I'm, have I'm a really, family I, member you'd like to give it to? Um, I live alone. <laughs> okay. Look. Well, can I say this that? Uh, Sarah, would you like to handle that question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, Sarah, we won't make you handle it. Here, here is the passage, Matthew chapter 19, and all of us are familiar. I think we're fairly familiar with this uh, uh, rather, uh, rather often told story about this rich young ruler. And But the idea is that Jesus kind of turns things on his head. And he says that it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven and so on. And people have conjectured what that yes. meant. And so, but yes. at the end of the parable, after the story, he's talking to his disciples, and they were a little bit astounded by this idea that, you know, the rich, he said, then who in the world can be saved? And said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And, and then he says, Peter says, well, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? That sounds like a very political question there, <laughs> speaking of politics. And Jesus says, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times so as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who right. are the many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Uh, I don't know. Confusing me. Yes, I think maybe Jacob will have a thought about it. But I do. One I of the do. Things, I do. One of the things that I've noticed throughout the scriptures, there are several characteristics of God's people, uh, Old and New Testaments. Uh, uh, humility is one, brokenness uh, before the Lord, a uh, sense of gratitude, there's a thankful heart uh, in those. That's kind of fundamental, basic temper or, or personality characteristics that of, of people who come to the Lord. And that, I mean, that's rich and poor, you know, that's, um, you know, converted thieves and, you know, both white collar and, and blue collar, whatever. Uh, it's just a characteristic of people who respond to God, or the brokenness and humility and gratitude and so on. And it seems like this is 
basically what Jesus is saying is that his kingdom is set up on a different different values that than this world you know this world is dog eat dog and he who has the most toys wins and you know the rich and the powerful and the famous and and he's saying things in his kingdom are going to be different those who are the least they're they're humble they're broken they're servant-hearted they will be the ones who will be uh who be seated at his right hand or you know have places of authority and responsibility uh in in eternity i've often wondered about myself i've often wondered Remember one time the disciples asked Jesus, can I sit at your right hand? Can I be the most important in your kingdom? And he says, uh, he said, that's not given to me to give. The father will do that. And he said, but are you able to drink that cup? Are you humble? Are you servant hearted? It's going to be very different from the way we choose leaders in this world. It's going to be on the basis of servant hearted and loving and kind and gracious and one who pours out his life in benefit of others. Uh, and I've often wondered, I wonder who that will be someday in glory. And I'm, I think of some little, I don't know, some gracious little old lady that probably couldn't do a whole lot physically, but just dedicated her life to prayer and serving and faithfully. You you think of a, a you know, um, Mother Teresa or someone who just kind of pours out their life in benefit of others. And it could be totally unknown people. I don't know. But that's kind of what I've gathered from it uh, over time. Uh, Les was just that idea that, um, that Jesus is showing the contrast between the, the values of his kingdom and the values that we fo- seem to follow a lot in, in the world which we live in. Jacob, do you have any other? Well, I will say this, that uh, if we put this in context, not quite in the religious idea that you did, but probably more in sympathy with Sarah's type of position. Notice how I included you, Sarah. There you go. Uh, it's, uh, I, I think, texturally, it's you're refer, you're looking at a bunch of Romans. Notice I mentioned Romans, who have conquered a country. Mm-hmm. They conquered several countries, and they are and the people they are oppressing in this case are the Jews. So I think it's kind of referring to, and it certainly is larger than just the Jews. It's larger to let's say oppressed people, and uh, I so I think it's really referring to look, you'll be first. Don't worry about this. These other guys, they're going to be last. And I, and I might say the rich young ruler. Are you still there, uh, Rich? Oh yes, oh yes, I'm listening. Okay, the well, the rich young ruler. Interesting enough, uh, I take that story much much different than probably the popular taking. How I take it is this: is that you see when he says to uh, Jesus, he says, "Hey, what uh, what am, what have I what have I got to lose?" In other words, if you do not know the Jewish concept of afterlife, then you will take it that he's just a happy-go-lucky, kind of ignorant kind of guy. But if you understand the Jewish concepts, especially at that time, of the Jewish afterlife and what quote-unquote salvation is or how you get to heaven, whatever you want to call it, then it makes a different kind of sense. I think he's saying, because no Jews were rich, none of them. In Israel at that time, especially in Jerusalem, unless they unless they were corrupt the, or, or compromised, right? I can do that while I'm drinking water. <laughs> uh, the uh, yes, exactly. I just so, wanted to prove I've been listening to you for a well, while. Yeah, so you got so there there are apostates, they're corrupt, whatever. So this is how and what they go out, they go out and they charge a little more and they charge and they charge for certain items and prayers, etc. Even at the temple, they add a little vicarage, they call it, and they take a little for themselves. This is the only way he could survive. So this rich young ruler could have only got his money 
by some type of cooperation with the conquering victors, the Romans. So, and the idea is, is that he was going to get to heaven with or without Jesus, with or without salvation, at least as he understood it. So he's saying, hey, what am I going to lose? Okay, so maybe i got to spend some time in you know, some kind of punishment, but I'll get there. So what I'm thinking it's referring to is the idea of the oppressed people will get there first because they were oppressed. Hmm. But the other people will get there, even so, the Romans. But they'll get there, but they will be last. All right. Very, very interesting. Thank you for calling in, Rich. Glad to hear from you. I hope All it's right. a little bit helpful. Maybe someone hey, else will have it. Maybe someone else will have another thought for us as well. Well, speaking of that, I will jump from that and segue from that call to you, Sarah, and asking, you know, Jacob has often speaks to us about, and I think he's given, to me at least, I think he's deep in my understanding of New Testament passage, New Testament times, uh, because he, he seems to have a better grip on the the times in which they lived, you know, the Roman Empire being so uh, powerful, and Israel at this time is a conquered nation. They are they're uh, they are being oppressed. They are dominated by uh, Roman uh, soldiers and Roman uh, occupation, and and he talks to us a lot about how corrupt the a lot of the the uh, Jewish institutions had become during this era because the the Romans, you know, they sold the priesthood they the in other words the priesthood was supposed to be belong to the levites only the the tribe of the of the uh jews of the israelites and uh and but they would sell this uh, sell those positions of authority of and so on uh and so there in other words he's made us see that there was a great deal of corruption in the political the social the religious institutions of israel even to the point that I think they put a statue of who in the temple? Caligula. Caligula and so on. But, you know, Soapy, in all fairness, too, that uh, you couldn't. If you wanted to make a living, you had to get by. Sometimes guys chose to be sure. And every, at sunrise, every morning, the head priest, in this case you might call him Caiaphas, he would have to go to Herod's palace at sunrise, pick up the high priest garments at sunset, he returned them to Herod's palace. The message is clear. Who's really running the temple is the the uh, Herod. Herod, by the way, contrary to popular thought, is an Edomite. He's not Jewish. And secondly, um, it was the Romans. But Sarah, are you there? Sarah? Is Sarah oh, I'm I'm you, sorry, Sarah. Sarah, I are you there? there? Are you still with I us, Sarah? I am, yes. Great. Well, I, I, was I, am. I was question. wondering if there was any... As far well, as archaeology I, of that gonna era. going to ask my question for me. Go right ahead. So, In the archaeology of that era, of the, the Roman times, does, is that reflected, any of this that Jacob tells us about the corruption or the over, the oppressive uh, nature of the Roman Empire? Well, I think that uh, the, the Israelites certainly felt that that was the case, uh, living under the Roman Empire, especially in the first century, uh, subject to them, and then, of course, the rebellion, the destruction of the temple, um, Herod essentially being a client king of the emperor. Um, so certainly that Roman culture, that unwelcome Roman culture, was pervasive throughout their land. I don't think that uh, anyone living in that time or place would have been unaware of this sort of omniscient Roman administration under which they were were required to live, although 
um, they were excused from participating in uh, rituals that were mandatory for all other Roman subjects, such as worship uh, of the imperial cult. So the Romans did uh, take that into consideration uh, when they when they essentially uh, kind of absorbed <laughs> Palestine into their empire, um, and they did try to, uh, to some extent, allow the Jewish people to practice their religion free of interference. Uh, for the Romans, it was far more about economics than it was about religious domination. Yeah, and I, hmm. I would agree with her. I think that's a brilliant statement, and I think she's 100% correct. What, was the Roman Empire at all, was it ever viewed as benevolent, as good, as positive, as... In other words, were there some countries ever in the, what would you say, the three or four hundred years of their domination as they rose to to, uh, to dominance, uh, were they ever welcomed? Were they ever, was there, what do you, do you feel, we, we kind of tend to see them as, uh, as, as villains, uh, those of us, you know, you grew up reading the Bible, I mean, the, the Romans were always the, the wicked evil, they were the bad guys, you know, and so on, but... It's- we do see them as the villains through the lens of the New Testament, um, because this, these are all written by by Jews and early Christians. Uh-huh. Um, but there were many peoples and and provinces in the empire uh, that were very welcoming of the Roman administration, because the Romans were quite savvy. You know, we we hear more about the provinces that they conquered by force, such as uh, ancient Israel, such as the Three Gauls. But provinces like uh, Gallia Narbonensis, for example, which is the province which in what is now approximately most of southern France and some of northern Spain, um, this was absorbed quite peaceably, and the Romans were quite savvy in the way that they did this because they allowed people to keep their gods, they allowed people to keep their local administration, so the elites of those societies were not displaced, um, they simply had to pay tribute to their Roman superiors. So, th- so these people were able to maintain their power and in many cases actually augment their power uh, with the force of the Roman administration behind them. And then the, the people who, you know, sort of the, the normal people, uh, the everyday people like ourselves, their lives in many cases would improve because now they have aqueducts, now they have roads. Uh, now they have the, the Roman po- legions po- the stationed Pox at their Ro- borders Pox, to keep them safer. Call, the Pax Romana, the Roman because of their the presence of their military and so on, there was a certain amount of stability. Right, the the Pax Romana, the famous Pax Romana that came about when the Emperor Augustus uh, took power. So, for a lot of these provinces, the um, the arrival of the Roman Empire into their region and their absorption into the empire was welcome indeed. Uh, their taxes didn't change. It was The only difference was to whom they paid their taxes. And so um, now they have uh, greater infrastructure. They now have access to goods and food that is arriving from places like Egypt. Uh, they have more access to resources that they didn't have before. So we do talk a lot about the conflict in the Roman Empire, particularly uh, at the frontiers and, you know, through the lens of the New Testament with Israel. But there were quite a few provinces that were very welcoming of the Roman administration because it, inc- it improved the daily life 
uh, for a lot of people. What caused the downfall of the Roman Empire, Sarah? And talk to us a little bit about, uh, uh, I, I, like you say, I know a little bit more about the biblical times, but I can't recall exactly how how it actually came to an end. How, You know, we, I think the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, There, I think I've, I've forgotten the historian's name that talked about these ten characteristics of the Roman Empire that caused its downfall, and a lot of people th- think that, you know, they... They try to make a comparison that with Western culture of our times, but how did right. the Roman, how how did it play out? How did it end actually? Well, you know, I, I will probably get in a lot of trouble with colleagues for answering this question in less than five hours. <laughs> it's a, there are PhD dissertations written on this on this topic, and I'm simplifying it egregiously. But um, it was really a, a combination of many factors. Um, one that many scholars point to is the fact that the empire had simply overreached. It had become too large to be governed by a central administration. If you look at a map of ancient Rome at the end of the second century, it it covers places that are, are as geographically disparate as northern England um, and yes. uh, northern Afghanistan and northern Africa. I mean, if you just consider the world map, how enormous this this empire was and that you do not have modern the modern technology that we have today and that you do have many different peoples of many different cultures and faith faith under this umbrella of a single administration it was simply too big and so what they did is they split the capitals and now you have a tetrarchy you have two capitals um, co-emperors um, and and sharing power. Is that be like <laughs> sharing Rome, power between rulers? Rome and Constantinople. Is that are those the two cities you're talking about? Um, yes, at one time there was was Rome and Constantinople um, during the Tetrarchy of the late third century. Diocletian moved the capital to uh, what is now Split in Croatia, um, and so now you have different administrations trying to rule different portions of the empire. So, so they just outgrew themselves uh, in, in one respect. And then uh, scholars will also point to this concept of imperial decadence, where the ruling class has now become so far removed from the concerns and lives of normal citizens that they are no longer able to effectively govern in their best, in the, in the interest of their constituency. So, um, they are, they are, you start to have, you know, with this hereditary monarchy, you have rulers who are less and less fit. Um, you start to have a great deal of military instability. The legions are constantly um, assassinating an emperor and raising a new general in their place. Mm-hmm. Um, so things started to implode from within. And once that happened, then all of their enemies at the various frontiers, uh, the Germanic tribes to the north, mm-hmm. you have um, eastern empires that are coming at them from the east, um, then their borders start to collapse, uh, and then things start to deteriorate. Is there a date, or is there a date generally, or maybe even specifically, that is considered to be the time when the Roman Empire actually did essentially dissolve and cease to exist in, in the in the power at least that it once exercised? Do you know there are <laughs> there are many books written about this and then and constant debates 
But I think most people would agree that the, the Imperial Roman Empire, as we think of it in, in modern terms, really ceased to be by the late uh, late 5th, early 6th century, and then you start to see the rise of, of Byzantium, the Eastern Christian Holy Roman Empire, um, with its with its capital in Constantinople. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, what a fa- Are we still living to some degree? I think a lot of people who look at biblical uh, prophecy and so on, I know we moved a little bit away from the aspect of archaeology, but maybe not. Maybe you'll be able to make this... Uh, make that jump with us uh, uh, some people think that we're still kind of living Where would I be? the time of the Roman Empire we're still extended is there any sense of that still well certainly um, our entire western culture both in the United States and Europe is, is founded on uh, more Greek democratic principles rather than Roman but we all of this was transmitted through the Roman, uh, through the Roman Empire, and through the writings that are left to us from the Roman Empire. I think a lot of our uh, philosophical and political principles are founded um, on ideals that were held so by the Roman elite. Don't go away, for folks. We'll be right back. Witness at your door. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Cornerstone, be a cornerstone, be the rock I of the night, be my fortress wall. And we are back, and Sarah has graciously conceded to, to stay with us another segment. We love visiting with her. She's so knowledgeable about this era, particularly the era in the times of the New Testament, uh, Roman domination over the people of Israel, and, of course, over the, as she's pointed out to us, uh, dominating to a great degree the known world of that, of that time. And so uh, we can, we can uh, continue with Sarah. Uh, you are still with us, right, Sarah? I am indeed. Okay, good deal. And while, so, and while I, I certainly agree with Sarah, that these aqueducts and the races and the crucifixions were certainly great Roman improvements. Uh, I'm not sure that <laughs> approved of them because the Romans had very bad table manners. So the crucifixions might have outweighed it somewhat. You're not a friend of the Roman Empire. Well, no, I, you know, I understand. But, uh, you know, there's always people that want to say we're going to give you a modernization by taking away your freedom. So, I mean, I, I have a little different view of this, but but I, Sarah's 100% right. And I, I, you know, I don't know, for showers and uh, flush toilets, you know, what, maybe we'll trade some things, you know. Isn't freedom, as we understand it, isn't that a rather recent development? <laughs> I mean, didn't most people actually, of all... Actually, Sarah, are you there? I am. Great. Actually, this is a great segue for me to do a sort of, if you watch the scroll at the bottom of the page, you'll see that Passover is known as the holiday of freedom. It was God gave freedom to human beings. 
Other human beings always want to take it away. But freedom, Passover is actually the holiday of freedom. That's what it's referred to as. Well, but you get my question, I get, I think, I do. Sarah. Oh, no, I understand also. Is it the idea of people, groups living? I, I, I know there was a, there's a Greek idea of that you know, with Athens and, the, you know, the the they had the idea of of, of self governance and freedom and that sort of thing, but in reality, it's rather a recent development in broadest terms, right? Well, it, hasn't most of the history of human history been explained by one group dominating and taking over another and that sort of thing, ruling by a military power? Well, certainly, and even even in the context of the Greek world, from which we have inherited most of our principles of modern democracy, and we have to remember that in Greek society, democracy only applied to men of a certain social status Mm -hmm. uh, who who had a a certain amount of property and wealth. Um, Also, the Greek society, as with the Roman society, both of their economies were entirely slave-based, and as elevated as many of their philosophical writings are, we see very little commentary on the um, inherent wrongness of mm-hmm. enslaving another human being. This mm-hmm. was something that was part of their ethos. It was not something that they considered to be uh, an ethical issue. So it really is, you know, we have to sort of put ourselves into their heads. They They have this world in which they move and live and operate and certain institutions are considered completely normal, which to us would be considered abnormal or inhumane. So, um, yes, it is all a question of perspective. Um, you know, we, we do tend to idealize these cultures and gloss over um, elements of them um, that that are perhaps more distasteful. Well, even, even Hebrew culture, Jacob, was quite um, male-centered, right? And wasn't it the... Now we've talked about some really bright uh, exceptions that to that. Is that a question, or is that just a? Uh, no, it's a question. But I, I know we've talked about how the, the, the Hebrew culture they did recognize the right of women to own property, and we we talked about that famous passage. I think what is in Genesis actually, wasn't it? The, uh, it's actually in Job. In, okay, the the okay the earliest book. Yeah. So uh, I I don't know. I it just seems like a long process of of. The idea of freedom and individual liberty becoming... Do you know what? And I'd like to share this with Sarah. Mm -hmm. I have decided. Sarah, do you know what the hardest thing is for a human being to do? (laughs) Oh. I do not. Okay. Sophie, do you? I I could guess, but I won't. I actually, I want you all to think about this. Because after a moment, you'll see that I'm right. And I always enjoy it when people see that I'm right. (laughs) The, uh, but... It uh, happens so rarely. Yes, sure. That's why I enjoy it. <laughs> um, but here is the hardest thing for a human being to do is to allow another human being to be free. And But I will tell you that, and so, you know, something since you're talking about that, Sarah, something I've always really not had a really good grasp on. Maybe you could give us a couple of minutes on that. I understand that Rome, when it interacted, perhaps conquered Greece, I understand, that somehow they took their gods, they gave them Roman names, and those gods somehow became the Roman gods. Have I got that right, or could you explain that a little bit? 
Well, so, yeah, that's, that's an interesting concept. So without grief, you have no room uh, in terms of their religious mythology and ideology. And in most cases, the Roman deities are, are the same as the Greek with Latin names. So Hera becomes Juno, Zeus becomes Jupiter. Um, etc. And there are a few exceptions to that. Apollo is Apollo in both cultures. Um, and the Romans believed very much in the power of these deities in the early days of the Roman Republic. Um, so, for example, the deity Asclepius, which is the god, the Greek god of medicine, um, the Romans during the plague in the early 3rd century BC actually sent priests to Greece to bring back sacred snakes of Asclepius to Rome. So they essentially went to bring the deity to Rome to deal with these plagues. And so um, many of these deities were deliberately imported by the Romans hmm. uh, from the Greek culture. Now you said that the mm. the Greeks were defeated. I thought the Greeks were defeated. It was That was um, Alexander the Great, right? And weren't they defeated by the Persians, by... Xerxes or artisan? Earlier, yes, much earlier. The, the Greeks were never conquered by Rome per se. They they were sort of absorbed. I mean, the, the really the zenith of the Greek culture was in the fifth, fourth centuries BC. Uh-huh. Um, and as the Greek culture starts to decline or starts to um, become less cohesive, because remember, Greece was never under a central administration. It was a conglomeration of city states. Yeah, I saw uh, the movie. Independent city states. I saw that movie three hundred. So that's where I'm gleaning no. all, of my, all of my history from that. I guess. Okay. I love that line um, when that guy, the Greek the Spartan, says, "Hey, we've been sharing our culture with you all day." <laughs> you know, don't you just. And the Romans, you know, that in that part of the Roman Empire, uh, Greek was always the lingua franca. Yes. So, right. you know, in, in what is now modern Greece and Western Turkey, uh, even under the Roman administration, Greek was still the, the language spoken by the people there. Well, you, Sophie, don't you just, and Sarah, this is, please don't blush, uh, but don't you just love talking to somebody like this that can actually put this together and explain it? Sarah, you do so well. You really do. <laughs> I, I was thinking as you were explaining that, here in this volatile mix, this transition from Greek influence in the arts and the lingua franca, you know, the common Greek language, of the, which was really a very unique development of that time, and you have the Roman peace and the Roman roads and all this, and into this very pregnant historical moment, comes this this Jewish rabbi named Yeshua from a little tiny town and, and th- this this message of individual freedom and you know relationship with God right. and that's what and there goes bust, the neighborhood right yeah and there goes <laughs> and it kind of busts into this era uh, of of very volatile era of of, of military and and empires rising and falling and that sort of thing and it's a, it's astounding how that little seed, that little seed of thought, that little seed of uh, the idea of uh, God and a redemptive plan and individual salvation and that sort of thing. How did that, in, in terms of your understanding of history there and the, the empires and the risings and the fallings and so on, that little kernel of the Christian gospel, I mean, not, I'm not thinking about it now in the religious terms or whether you believe it or not, but that just that ideal 
the the idea mm-hmm. that represented it was it did sort of it played a part in that era, didn't it? I mean, it was. It, it was a it was a tremendous, um, I think, achievement of that ideology to spread as far and as quickly as it, relatively quickly as it did, uh-huh. um, which tells us that there was very fertile ground in among the people to whom these messages were being passed. You know, if you think about Paul's journey through. Anatolia, he's going from synagogue to synagogue, and he's starting with the Jewish communities, but then he begins to preach to the polytheistic communities. Um, And I think what you have by then is that Roman religion was so... um, it, it was so administratively strict that many people were were not allowed access uh, to have roles in these various religions. They could uh-huh. go to the shrines, they could offer votives, um, but they were really not, uh, unless they were wealthy or unless they were um, sort of occupied the upper strata of their community, they, they really were not allowed roles within these sort of religious colleges. Uh, Christianity was quite the opposite. You know, it comes in here with this message of the meek shall inherit the earth and, um, very, and your, very inclusive. your poverty. Very inclusive. Very inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has a very, um, you know, eschatologically, uh-huh. it has a very sound and very complete theology that deals with the afterlife, whereas the Greek and Roman religions they were, you know, a little fuzzy on that. You know, we're not right, quite sure yeah. what happens. It could be pleasant, might not be. <laughs> you know, whereas Christianity comes along with this really sort of vibrant, glowing promise yeah. of paradise. Um, that's a very powerful message to people whose lives were often short and difficult. Yeah, half of the population, I understand, uh, in the time uh, of the first century, there wasn't. Basically, half of the population of the Roman Empire were were being dominated. They were in slavery, or in they were under That's control. Right. Yeah. So, you have a, it was very fertile ground, no doubt about it. How how satisfying, apart from the uh, uh, eschatological considerations of heaven and eternal life and that sort of thing, how satisfying were the idea of these these half man had god mythologies of Mars and and uh, Zeus and so on, were people to some degree dissatisfied? Did did they really believe that in these mythological gods? Or maybe that was part of the fertile ground? That's a good question. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, And actually there is is a fair amount of evidence to suggest that making it clear that uh, when we talk about these things, all of our evidence comes from the elite of Roman society because they're the ones who were, who were literate. So those are the only writings we have left. We don't necessarily know what the the lower class illiterate populations thought, but there is, from what we do have, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that by the imperial period, most people were not fervently believing in these deities um, the way that they did earlier on in the Republican period. This was sort of um, going through the motions. You have the state cult, the imperial worship of the emperors, which was required of all Roman citizens. Um, And so I think these deities, even in the Republican period and in the Greek period, they behave like capricious humans 
who right. just don't die. <laughs> yeah, right. So they have all the, the the faults and weaknesses of human beings. So to place your trust in a deity like this um, was always a bit of a was always a bit of a risk. You know, there's always a bit of a question mark. And then along comes the message of this of of early Christianity, or at the time, this sort of Jewish sect, uh-huh. um, with this omniscient, benevolent, uh, all-knowing deity um, was also very powerful. You know, that, that you have this perfect entity, this perfect deity that actually that actually, ste- that actually stepped into time and space as a real man and a real person and lived out a life. And real, I, I would all, it seems like that would be even though you might not have known him and you heard stories, just stories and all, with the prophetic messages that went before him, and, and that it, it, I, I could see how the idea of this Jesus, this Savior, the, the you know incarnate Son of God, purchasing redemption, you know, that sort of thing, it really had to have, I mean, just a, an astounding, powerful appeal to people who are just kind of existing on these little breadcrumbs of mythologies and your vague ideas of goodness and God and so on. I suppose right. it, it did you, uh, just sir, ate them up, didn't it? Sir, do, uh, yeah. are you, have you ran, ran into a god named Mithros in Rome? Oh, yes. Yes, what, absolutely. What's the story on Mithros? Well, so the problem with Mithras is that to be your favorite. That just happens to be your favorite god, doesn't it? <laughs> no, right. <laughs> I was a Roman soldier. He might have been. Uh, he was very popular with uh, the Roman military. Um, but the problem with the the cult of Mithras and many of these other mystery cults is, is they were the whole point is that you had to be initiated into them, and it was forbidden to discuss it or write about it. So much of what we know about this cult is sort of hearsay um, from from authors writing at the time and archaeological evidence when um, excavating Mithraea um, and the material that we find within them. We know it was an Eastern cult. Uh, we know it was one of the first cults adopted or absorbed into the Roman Empire that had this very clear delineation between light and dark and good and bad. Um, that was always a more nebulous concept in, in Greek and Roman religions, um, whereas Mithraism um, had elements that, that to readers of the Genesis story would sound very familiar, um, this idea of, of a deity um, creating all life, um, in this case by slaying a, a sacred bull, and the body and the blood of the bull were consumed uh, during their rites. Um, so some scholars have drawn parallels with this concept of communion. Um, but certainly um, it's one of the more intriguing mystery cults uh, adopted by the Roman Empire. And it came back to the Roman Empire. Uh, it was transmitted via the legions um, and their contact with with the Persian culture. So uh, Mithras was kind of the patron saint or the patron god of soldiers, yeah, of military. As she said, yeah, that's what I understand. <laughs> yeah. And she mentioned the bull, and what I understand is some of the ceremonies actually had to do with the blood, and that at some point, as I understand, in some of the ceremonies, there, as the bull is bleeding and losing its blood, and they place blood on their bodies, I gather, uh, that they had actually t- attempted to take bites out of the bull while it was still living. 
uh, that's at least some stuff I've read, mm. and I thought this is such. It's been such a fascinating, particular God to me. That's why I asked mm. her about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, even the writers who were writing about it at the time, it was it was speculative even then. But archaeologically, in the Mithraea, we do find in many of them what we call a vasca, which basically means it's just basically a large. Um, think of it as a big rectangular depression, yeah. like a bathtub almost, exactly. in front of the altar. Um, and the theory is that that was where the blood of the bull was collected. That's and then it. the inner sanctum of these Mithraea were set up like a um, triclinium, which are Roman dining rooms. So the initiates would, would be laying down on these couches and eating something. She's smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, is, there, is there any link between this idea? I mean, the, the idea of the bull and the, you know the, that sort of. Thing? I just, it's just curiosity. I lived a number of years in Spain I'm, with the bullfighting and all that one, sort of thing. I wonder if there's any link between those traditions or those. Well, I don't know. It does seem to be, and you know, of course, the bull is representative of uh, Luke. Um, and so I, I don't know if, if there is a link. Certainly Spain it also has a very important and deeply rooted Roman history. Um, but I am far from an expert on bullfighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it looks kind of scary. Well, well Sarah, we don't want to uh, not get a chance to talk about your seminar coming up. Right. Yeah. And I know it starts this next weekend. Would you, and I hope that people have heard, some very interesting facts from you tonight. And so maybe you could tell us a little bit about what's happening this next weekend in San Antonio with your group. Yes, we're very excited about this. This is something I work on all year. Um, It is a Bible and archaeology program that we are putting together this year in San Antonio. We have 21 different biblical scholars and archaeologists coming to speak. Uh, we, We try to keep it fairly evenly divided between Old Testament and New Testament scholars. Um, so we'll have some people fresh back from the field in, in Israel and Turkey giving us reports on their latest discoveries. We will also have textual scholars um, discussing their latest research. Um, and this is, this is a program created for lay people. This is, these are our scholars who are used to teaching um, and used to um, interacting with people who are interested in the subject but not necessarily experts in the subject. So um, this is really for the general public, people who are interested in this um, in this field. It's a great opportunity to hear it firsthand from the people that are, are shaping the field and who are doing really some of the finest research in the area. Hmm. Where will you be? Where, where will this be taking place? It is at the Hotel Contessa on the Riverwalk, um, and it starts on Friday, this coming Friday. And there is a charge for that, of course. There is, and all the information is on our website. Um, If you go to biblicalarchaeology.org and look under events, uh, you'll see the seminar program and, and all of the details as well as a downloadable schedule of speakers will be on that website. I, I have learned that there are two ways of spelling archaeology. Oh, good point. With the we a, spell it with an A. You do? Yes, spell, it, spell archaeology for us. We spell it A-R-C-H-A-E-O 
L-O-G-Y. Good. <laughs> the, the British spelling. <laughs> All right. I, I, I saw that and I thought, oh, no, that's going to be confusing. And not I, spell aardvark. <laughs> <laughs> no. Good for you. Uh, well, very good. The, the 19th is what I'm uh, – that Saturday, I think, is the day I know that we're – Jacob and I want to come down and take advantage of this wonderful gift you've given to us to be able to attend and learn. Uh, that will really yes. feed a lot into our understanding and uh, help us uh, as we make our way through this old book every year. It, it really is so many of the things that you guys talk about are helpful to us in terms of uh, understanding the, the biblical context and the biblical history, the traditions, the languages, and so on. Uh, it is a unique. It actually is a unique thing about this old book, that it is does have uh, its both of its feet firmly planted on planet Earth. I mean that it really does take place. The whole idea of the biblical revelation is that you know God, the deity, stepped out of eternity into time and space. He acted. He spoke. He moved. He involved himself in in the human history and and. It, it it can be examined and researched and and uh, uh, to some degree we can find well is it right is it true or is it accurate or not uh, all because it's it's researchable that's that's a unique thing about uh, I think it's one of the really unique things about the Jewish or even the the, the Christian uh, tradition is that we can have we can look at archaeology we can look at uh, language a transmission of text and documents and this sort of thing and. Uh, and if it's not true, it's not true. You know, it, whether whether we want to believe it or not, that it has, it has to have that truth, uh, that truth foundation to it. Which I, I I I've always thought was just a remarkable thing to be able to explore, and uh, to some degree arrive at a, a at a conclusion as to whether it's believable, is true or not, because hey, of hey, archaeology. We've only got so uh, less than a minute left, but listen, one of the questions we're asking tonight is, and if you answer this question, you win a one-year subscription to the Bar Magazine. <laughs> okay. uh, You're so, offering it what, to Sarah? Yes. Okay, Sarah, are you ready? Okay, what day of the, all the days that it says in Genesis that God created, did they say was not good? He didn't. It doesn't say it's not good. He just doesn't say that it was good. Did you hear our question at the beginning of the program? The, in the creation episodes in Genesis, God declared the six days of creation, not the seventh day when he rested, but he declares after each day that it, and God saw that it was good. He declared it to be good. But there's one day he does not declare to be good. What was it? This oh, my goodness. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Well, only in the interest of time, we'll declare you a winner. And it's <laughs> the second day. Which is Monday. Can you believe it? Haven't we been decrying? I can, in fact. <laughs> we've been decrying Mondays all throughout human history. It, 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 it has a biblical basis. He did Sarah, not declare thank it to you so good. much, and we'll see you at the seminar. Thank You're you, Sarah. You're very welcome. Looking forward to seeing you. All right. Thank Good you. night. And thank you, folks, for joining us tonight. I hope you enjoyed the program, The Bible Live. We'll see you as well next week. The Bible weekend. Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. 
visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.